Canucks fans, we're back with episode 144 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, man, it has been a while. I was trying to remember how to like set up my microphone and, and how we did all this stuff here. But uh, man, it's been it's been a while. How's how's things? Yeah, I mean, things are okay in my neck of the woods. At least they are now. Uh, you know, caveat, we were meant to record probably about two, two and a half weeks ago. Um, I went away uh, for a work trip. Uh, first, I was in Montreal for three days, and then I went to Toronto for three days. And while I was in Toronto, I started having uh, some really bad abdominal pain. And I flew home uh, Sunday the 28th. And it was the worst flight of my life. Uh, did not enjoy it whatsoever. <laughs> I was sweating, but like freezing cold. And then me being a man and being stubborn, I was like, I don't need no hospital. I just got trapped gas. Um, that's what I thought. So I just came home Sunday. I slept all day. Woke up the next morning still in an incredible amount of pain. Finally, my fiance convinced me to go to the hospital. And I had a ruptured appendix. And I had to have an emergency uh, appendi- appendectomy. Um, so yeah, two weeks uh, off work, uh, ready to record and talk hockey, uh, specifically Canucks hockey. And I feel great. Uh, what about you, Pete? Uh, I know it's been almost <laughs> well over a month since we've done one of these. Uh, what's been shaking in your life? Oh, man, I'm just picturing you on that airplane and the poor saps that I had to sit next to you all sweating there with the shivers. They're like, oh, my God, really? I got to sit next to the, to this guy over here. And you're like, no, it's not COVID. I'm OK. It's not COVID. <laughs> I just, it's probably just really bad gas. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I went camping last week. That was cool. Um, uh, we went out to the west coast of the island um, with some buddies and. Uh, to one of our favorite spots out near Banfield, a place called Pachina Bay. And uh, yeah, sweet. Saw some bears. We had a humpback whale cruise right along the beach, which is awesome. We saw big ass elk. We did a, a really cool uh, hike with uh, the First Nations people out there, the the Huedat people. And uh, they do these tours to this old village, uh, the ruins of an old village of theirs that's been there for, you know, time immortal. And, uh, and that was really cool as well. And yeah, just beautiful beach just hanging out the weather sort of cooperated so it sounds like uh i had a lot more fun the last couple weeks than you did uh yeah i mean checking out some old abandoned ruins is way cooler than laying in bed for a week and a half nearly two weeks um but hey uh i feel pretty much 95 percent now and i know the weather hasn't been great today but i'm looking forward to trying to get some camping in myself did you, uh, you, it's kind of a, I guess, good timing in a way for you to be bedridden with all the Canucks news that's popped up the last little while. And, uh, of course we're going to dive right into that, but, uh, I assume you were able to kind of have a front row seat and absorb a lot of stuff there the last few days. Yeah. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of sports talk radio, uh, you know, reading a bunch of draft articles. Obviously there's some pretty big Canucks news just within this last week that I feel like broke. Um, we'll obviously get to all that, but yeah, man, I'm just right now, I'm just excited for the draft. And now with the newfound money, so to speak, that the Canucks seemingly have heading into free agency, I'm very cautiously optimistic about how this management group decides to spend that money. 
Man, I uh, I tweeted this, but I had a dream the other night that the Canucks uh, signed. I, I have these weird Canucks dreams like this sometimes. They signed some defenseman I'd never heard of to a seven-year, seven million per season deal, and it's just like like all that money's just gone. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> and I couldn't remember the player. The player name that kept floating in my head when I woke up was Brad Lambert, but he's not even a defenseman, and he's a prospect for uh, for Winnipeg, I think it is. Uh, and has uh, for so whatever reason, I think that was the player they signed. But uh, yeah, it was just you know Canucks PTSD. Is just like who the fuck have they just gone and blown their load on some guy I'd never heard of? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's a Louis Erickson in this year's UFA crop, but if there is, I'm sure the Canucks will find him. Uh, let's let's hope that's uh, that's old news. Uh, but yeah, man, some serious PTSD. Uh, yeah, we're gonna talk uh, OEL, Ethan Bear, the draft, uh, Archer Seelofs. We got a lot of things to cover, um, as well as uh, a little bit of stuff going around the NHL. Chucked in there. Uh, you can follow us online as well on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore Gas, and the podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And be sure to check out our Spotify playlist. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify. Pete and I continue to grow the playlist with every outro segment. We play a funky jam and then we add it to the playlist. And Doug, last episode was your edit. So tell me a little bit about that track. It's a track I know, I, I love, and uh, it was nice to hear it on there. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like the last handful of episodes we've recorded, we've kind of gone into a bit of a a gospel feel. We've thrown a couple of gospel uh, songs on there. I know you have and I have. And yeah, Pastor uh, T.L. Barrett uh, and the Youth uh, for Christ Choir. Uh, the song is called Like a Ship. And it's one of those songs that, I'm sure you've heard before and you're like, oh, that song. Yes, I've heard that song, whether it's, and again, I don't know if it's ever been in a movie, but it feels like it's been in a movie or a TV series and often at work, you know, much like yourself, Pete, you know, you'll put a playlist on or you'll even put an album on and then a random song comes on after that album's done playing or after that playlist is done playing. And Mm -hmm. this was one of those songs that had come on in the last couple of months. I was like, oh, man, yeah, what is this song? I I know it, but just like, what is it? And yeah, it's Pastor T.L. Barrett, and the song's called Like a Ship. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, Nice one in there. Yeah, a little bit of gospel in there. I know the Staples singers were used a few episodes as well. And uh, Mavis Staples is actually on the Rifflandia bill over in Victoria this year in September, which I'm going over to check out. So I'll get to see Mavis Staples there. So maybe you'll come over and join too, man. There's a good lineup. You got Run the Jewels and Herbie Hancock and Iggy Pop. Like it should be a pretty fun time. Is it close to and in around when our fantasy football draft would happen? Because that would be a great Maybe. double whammy. I think it would be a little bit after. I think it's just okay. a little bit after. But uh, but we can we can uh, do a little research when we're not recording and, and figure it out. But uh, yeah, Rifflandia, I'm going to head over to Victoria. Uh, this year for that um all right before we get into canucks uh first of all i'm just gonna crack uh, a cold one here but as i'm doing that the season is over vegas wins the stanley cups uh doug i'm gonna crack and pour one i'm not pouring one out for vegas here or anything i'm just just this is just coincidence but doug give me uh, your thoughts on the stanley cup finals i mean the finals as a whole i think we're kind of disappointing. Uh, 
in regards to quality of games, I think Vegas was far superior, you know, clearly the better team. They were much better than Florida. I think the injuries for Florida really started to pile up. And, you know, we've seen this throughout NHL playoffs in the past where a team does so well just getting to the finals, but they're kind of on their last leg. Vegas was one of the most healthy teams this entire playoff run. Um, I think they had everybody healthy. You know, guys like Phil Kessel were healthy scratch just because they had everybody on their team that was healthy. Um, and Jonathan Quick. Jonathan Quick, yeah. I mean, I, I think Aiden Hill is a lot younger, and he really kind of took over the the crease. Uh, oh, for sure. Serious. It's, it's just kind of funny to to see, like, you know, guys like Jonathan Quick and Phil Kessel not being a factor in their, on that roster. It's uh, that's That shows you how much depth they had and how they really did avoid injuries. Yeah, and I, I, I you know, I, I do think Vegas is a good team. You know, I'm not going to sit here and obviously being this new into the league, it sucks, especially being a Canucks fan. But I will say this. I actually think even though the television ratings weren't the greatest, you had Vegas, which I don't think is one of the bigger television markets in the U.S., and Florida, which, again, I don't think they have two teams down in Florida with Tampa, and they just aren't a huge television market. So they said this was one of the least watched uh, Stanley Cup finals in the last decade and a half, I believe. But the NHL being the first of the major four big North American leagues to get into Vegas, to have this kind of success in that city this early and to actually build that fan base, I think is great for the NHL. I really do. I'm looking big picture here. And I actually think this is really, really good for the league. And I think Vegas is now a hockey town. And if you look at the scenes, the videos and the pictures of that parade, you know, it was insane. And the NFL's there. I believe last year was the first year that the Raiders were there. And, you know, the Raiders are the Raiders. They're going to draw. You know, the Oakland A's in baseball are trying to get there. Uh, There's rumors of LeBron James trying to bring a basketball franchise to Vegas at some point, probably when he's done his playing career, much like Tom Brady is now a stakeholder in the Vegas Raiders. I think it's good that the NHL was the first into Vegas. Vegas is now going to be one of the bigger sports cities, I think, in North America. And the fact that they won this championship, again, I I actually think this helps grow the NHL. Look, I I think Vegas was a hockey town before the Cup. I mean, the the fans embraced that team with everything that happened when they first came into the league in Vegas with the, the shooting right around that time and the way... Uh, the, the, the Knights became a bit of a rallying point. They already were a hockey town. Um, I agree that the finals weren't the best of finals. I mean, Matt Kachuk had a broken sternum, and Aaron Eckblad, I think, was pretty much playing like one of the the Knights who say knee in uh, the in Monty Python there. He's like, hey, I don't know if he had any appendages <laughs> left on him. Like, the guy was just a, a shell of himself. So, I mean, yeah, Florida was beaten up. It's just, it is annoying, and I do think there's a part of this that it's a little bit of a, a black eye for some people that a team that's six years old wins a Stanley Cup. Um, it's it's frustrating. But I will say on Vegas' side, 
they had a plan from day one that they're just going balls to the wall all in. They're mortgaging the future. They're going after these guys. I mean, yeah, they're a six-year-old team, but they're a six-year-old team that happens to have Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Alex Petrangelo, among other people. Uh, and, and Jonathan Marchessault, who wins the Conn Smythe against the team that let him go. I mean, Seattle didn't quite get the same sort of reaps of rewards that, that Vegas got, uh, but a lot of GMs around Vegas really just made some terrible moves, including the Florida Panthers, who uh, had Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith both going over to Vegas. Uh, it's frustrating, but Vegas was the best team in the playoffs. Um, I mean, that's that's it at the end of the day. They were the best team this postseason, so unfortunately, they deserve the cup. Um, but it is good for Vegas, good for them, I guess. But, yeah, as Canucks fans, we're just like, you know, you got to be fucking kidding me. It's 53 years and counting, and... Uh, Vegas is closer again next year to a cup than we are. Yeah, look, as a Canucks fan, I hate it. Of course I do. It's been, what, 53 years for the Canucks? Uh, 1970, 2023? Yeah, 50, 70, 53 years. Good math me. there, Doug. Um, thank you, thank you. Um, but, again, like, coming out of the expansion draft, at the like, coming out of it, I, I know teams like Florida made catastrophic mistakes giving up both Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault, pretty much asking Vegas to take Marchessault and they would give them Riley Smith, or vice versa, take Riley Smith and he would give them Marchessault. Um, but coming out of that expansion draft, I don't think anyone thought that team was going to be as good as they were year one. At least on paper. William Carlson, who was you know a great player that first year and he was very good in these playoffs as a two-way player, no one thought they were going to be that good. And then Vegas, since they've come into the league, to their credit, have been the boldest and a team and have made big changes, sweeping changes to this club without hesitation. You know, obviously, they let their first overall pick go in the expansion draft in Flower, which was huge news, right? A guy who that first year really built, you know, the you know helped build the fan base in Vegas and was part of that early success. They went after a player like Mark Stone. They signed a player like Alex Petrangelo in free agency. They traded for a guy like Max Pacioretty and then traded him again when it wasn't working out. You know what I mean? Um, obviously, they made the Jack Eichel trade. This team has been bold from the get-go, and if they make a mistake, they're not afraid to correct course. So you've got to give them credit. And again, I'm frustrated that they've won being six years into the league, but no team has made as bold decisions and as impactful decisions and taken as many risks, in my opinion, as the Vegas Golden Knights have since coming into the league. Yep. I mean, yeah, it's it's true. It's uh, it's unfortunate, uh, but it's it's true. And they were the best teams, so... Congrats to Vegas. Um, also, Will and Carlson, one of the best uh, interviews I've ever seen. That was that was rad. You caught that? No, I actually missed that. Oh, dude, you got to look it up. At the uh, he uh, he's had a few man pops, and he's in front of the crowd, and he's dude's just just hammered, and it is pretty funny uh, that, uh, during the parade. Uh, but they were partying hard. William Carlson was partying harder than all of them and hey one last thing i saw did you know that now with uh that every player with jack eichel winning the cup all four years where the oilers picked first overall the second overall pick has now won the stanley cup really 
Mm-hmm. So all four players taken after those four Oilers first overalls, uh, you know, uh, McDavid, Yakupov, uh, the Nuge, and Hall, all four of the players taken right after them have now won the Stanley Cup with, uh, with Jack Eichel doing that. Well, I know Sagan obviously won. Yeah. Jack yeah. Eichel, two. Yeah. <sighs> Was Ryan Murray the second pick in the Yakupov one? No. I don't think so because I don't think he's Ryan won a Murray, cup. Ryan uh, Murray, yeah, I don't think Ryan Murray's won a cup. But, uh, no. Uh, he was a second overall. I got to double check that. Unless, was he on the Colorado team last year? I can't remember. Uh, maybe or, he but, was. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. Was it Ryan Murray even the second pick in the in the Yakupov one? And then I don't know who was picked second in um, Nuge's draft. Let, but that's interesting. Landis, Landeskog was definitely uh, one of them. Um, Victor Hedman was a second overall pick as well. I don't know if that was him. Um, but it might have been Victor Hedman. Um, I'm not too sure. I don't. Th- I think that might have been too uh, too early. But anyways, I just saw that, and I could think of three of them as well. I got to figure out who the fourth one is, but uh, that's kind of kind of neat as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there was. I think last year. Well, I guess that's not true because Tampa won with Stamkos, but there's been very not as many first overall picks have won Stanley Cups in the last. 15, 20 years of the NHL. I think even going back 30 years, I think you'd be surprised when you look at first overall picks, how many of them have won a cup in the last 30 years. It's, it's, it's a handful, maybe a handful and a half at best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, Ryan Murray, it was Ryan Murray. He was on Colorado last year. So Okay, uh, and that was the Yakupov? It was Ryan Murray. That was the Yakupov draft? Yeah, that was the, okay. that was the Yakupov one because I remember at the time there's a whole bunch of good defensemen that draft. I remember saying the Oilers should trade down. Uh, and go for a defenseman, and uh, yeah, uh, they they took Yakupov, which obviously didn't work out. But uh, yeah, what do I know, anyways? Um, hey, uh, let's let's get off uh, Vegas. Let's get off uh, shitting on the Oilers. Um, we could do that all day because it's it's been a, a big week in Canucks land. Uh, there's been a lot that's happening. Biggest news floating around right now is, of course, the OEL buyout. Now we're not going to get into explaining the buyout. I think everyone has done that. Ad nauseum. I was watching some stuff on YouTube. The I think it was last night. Um, just people talking about the OEL bio, but it was generally it was from people not in the in our market. And so I swear it's like a twenty minute video, and they're just spending fifteen minutes of explaining how the buyout works. So if you want to understand how the buyout works, we're not going to cover it here. Uh, Cap Friendly can help you out with that. There's a lot of other podcasts and resources out there. Um, but this is something that we've been talking about for quite a few months on this podcast. Like we started talking about this, I think it was around December when, uh, when JT Miller was really struggling the Canucks were falling out of it and we're like, Oh geez, what do you do with this team? Like how do you clear up cap space? And at that time I was really on the buyout OEL train. And as the season went on, and then, you know, you hear the end of season presser. You're like, oh, okay, he was injured. It sounds like he's coming back. I'm like, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe give him one more year and then buy him out. Uh, but what became apparent as this as it went on is the Canucks needed cap flexibility. No one was willing to play nice with them. It was going to cost them more assets to give up other players. And the only way they could really see out of this was to buy out OEL. Yeah, and look, let's be clear and call spade a spade. You were the one kind of, you know, talking about the OEL buyout back in November, more so than I. Um, so you deserve full credit for that. I, 
I don't know. I just I didn't think they would do it. I I, I didn't think they had. No, I didn't either. The brass to to actually do it, and the fact that the buyout window, the first day the buyout window opened for teams, an hour into it, because I believe the buyout window opened at noon uh, Pacific time, and I believe the report from Elliot Friedman came down at about one or one thirty p.m. that same day. So the Canucks yeah. wasted no time in buying out OEL. And they could have waited. They could have waited up until closer to free agency, but they did it now. So I think that speaks volumes to maybe them trying to wheel and deal at the draft and potentially add more picks. They're no longer as leveraged in a trade, like you mentioned, Pete. They were up against it. And because of that, teams were really kind of back in the middle corner and not trying to throw them any kind of lifeline. They were wanting probably, you know, B to B plus prospects or second round picks, which the Canucks don't have any this year to be able to take on a Garland or a Besser. And now that they don't feel as pressured to kind of make those moves because they were heading into next season, they were over the cap. They were the only team in the NHL heading into next season as of before they officially bought OEL out that was over the cap. So they needed to do something and it's going to be a long eight years, but it makes sense, especially with how much money they save this year. I will say this, there is a little interesting caveat to this buyout, which I know some people are like, Oh, that's not fair. The league should come in, step in and change that. No, 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 no. Fuck that. The Canucks have had been given the wrong end of the stick so many times. It's nice that a little thing actually almost benefits the Canucks and the Canucks in a way gave a bit of a fuck you to the Arizona Coyotes by buying out OEL they, because they, did. they retained salary on him and you can only retain salary I believe on three players and that retained slot that Arizona used on OEL is now taken up for the next eight years so you know what yep. kudos to the Canucks for finally sticking it to somebody else yeah, I saw that too. And uh, for Arizona and a team in their situation, that's actually that is a big deal. Uh, that that one million or so uh, on the buyout for, is going to affect them for the next eight years. Um, just yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's it's a little bit of a it's a nice little bit of a kind of like oh yeah, you guys won the trade, but you know we're going to be a bad sport and kind of fuck you over. But really, the Canucks had had no choice with this, uh, in my opinion. This is something that. I think the the more it's come along, um, and I think the reason they did it so early, I, I do think that there's other things in the works here. I think the Canucks are looking at teams that are against the cap. And I will say the Canucks were over the cap, but that was before you factored in the two TPs onto I, uh, LTIR, uh, Tucker Pullman and Tanner Pearson. Um, so there was a little bit of wiggle there. But yes, if you looked at them just a cap friendly, they're already over the cap or were over the cap. I do think this gives the Canucks some options now to look at other teams that are close against the cap that have centers in the age range that they're looking for or defensemen in their age range they're looking for. And you can get more of a hockey trade and the Canucks might be able to get some good value on it if it's a team that is in a cap crunch. And it's like, look, we're, we're just trying to unload so-and-so, a guy who is uh, a third-line center on, on a team and a, on a reasonable cap hit, let's say like a 2 to $3 million player. Uh, this I'm, I'm describing Jason Dickinson here, aren't I? Um, <laughs> and... He, and the Canucks could be would be in the position to do something like with the Ethan Bear deal, where it's like we'll give you a, f a 
one of our three fourth round picks or something for him or a fifth round pick. And the Canucks could actually get leverage that way to help fill the holes that they need. We know they need a third line center and we know they desperately need defensive help right now because not only is uh, OEL gone now, but Ethan Bear is also going to be out for a while. And, and this is something now that the blue line is is really in need of some love. So I think this gives them some leverage going into the draft, going into free agency. I really hope they're not too active in free agency. I think they'll sign a couple guys, but I'm really hoping it'll just be bargain basement guys, like, you know, nothing over like a million and a half per. Um, I think they'll do maybe a couple of depth moves, but this gives them some real ad- advantage on the trade front with teams that are up against it right now. And I still think they're going to try to move more money out. Like, I still think, a Garland or a Besser trade. I mean, even Bolivier, who's probably a little bit easier of a player to move because he's just got one year left. I feel like Bolivier would be probably better moved closer to the trade deadline, depending on where the Canucks are, um, just because you could theoretically get more. But I, I do think they're going to try to move more money out. I really do. Um, I think... Also, the the play late in the year once OEL got injured, the play of guys like Wulanin who came up and did not... I mean, again, you know, is he a, a top-tier defenseman? No, but Wulanin was very serviceable for the Canucks down the stretch last year. Uh, you know, you had guys like Noah Juleson. I know it was a very small sample size, and a lot of Canuck fans are, you know, very, uh, you know, in love with Akito Hirose and just the small sample size we saw from him. I think that this management group looked and said, hey, we could probably have players play at bare minimum the same level that OEL was playing at last year and not be a seven, $8 million cap hit. And it's hard if you've got a guy who's got a full no movement clause, which OEL had. So he had to approve any potential trade, which let's be honest, there was no one who was going to take on that contract without a King's ransom heading back. You can't send him to the minors. You know, you can't bury him in the minors like the New Jersey Devils did all those years ago with Alexander McGillney. Yes, I remember that. Um, So they were between a rock and a hard place. And I think seeing some of the young players they have in the system step up and be serviceable NHL defensemen made this decision a little bit easier. And it's interesting that guys like Wulanin have been signed re-signed early. I know Jet Wu, who's obviously, you know, a right shot defenseman, still hasn't played an NHL game, but they signed him. There's still discussions mm-hmm. about the Canucks trying to re-sign Noah Juleson, Akita Hirose, who's now an RFA because he signed that one-year deal or whatever. You know, he played very well in a very limited sample size. I think they feel a little bit more comfortable and being able to find replacements for him that can at least provide you with what he was providing. And I agree. I do think they've got some money to play with. Um, I hope they don't overcommit or or overspend on free agency. I will give this management group credit. I do find that they have been much, much better with the pro scouting than the previous management group. I mean, the Jim Benning era, oh, yeah. there was a lot of mistakes you can all point to, but the biggest, most glaring mistake was their pro scouting. They yeah. overpaid in term, in money, and very few of their, you know, outside of maybe J.T. Miller, very few of their pro scouting acquisitions 
actually panned out. And I, I have a lot more faith in Rutherford and Elvine to identify that. I know there's guys like Ryan Graves, who's a big 6'4", left-shot defenseman, and seemingly would fit in to that OEL spot. But I think he's going to want a lot of money, and I just don't want the Canucks to overcommit to a guy like that. And controversial, maybe. I know a lot of people keep talking about the defense, and yes, the defense definitely needs help. I actually think they need a third-line center more, personally. Yeah, I do too. Well, no, I, I, it's, I think they need, need both. But look, you know, you mentioned some of those defensemen there. I think my, my hunch is that they're planning on one of either Cole McWard, Christian Milanen, uh, Akita Hirose, or maybe even Jack Rathbone. I think they're kind of figuring one of those guys may have a shot at, at cracking into the lineup. And of course, all those guys have cap hits of under a million uh, which, again, every dollar counts. Uh, that would be great. And you mentioned pro scouting as well. Uh, a couple of guys, you know, like Dakota Joshua and and Phil DiGiuseppe are, are guys that are also under a million dollars who are playing well above their value. And that, those are the kind of free agents that I I hope they do go out and maybe sign a couple of guys in that range. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned Reeves. I, I've seen projections that Reeves is in, uh, like, a five-by-five five deal. It's like, eh, I don't we, – we – it's – there's just too much scarring with that. Like, I mean, I think the Canucks are better off addressing their their needs via trade, which they can do right now. Um, and also, I, I got to call you out. You're pulling the Don Cherry on uh, Anthony. Uh, you're calling him Bolivier. That's a that's a Don Cherry move there. It's a Bavillier. Yeah, you're you're pulling the old Biesca Lolongo. And it's also it's Ryan Graves, not Greaves. Oh, yeah, yeah. I missed, <laughs> I missed that one, too. So, yeah. All but, right. We're on fire. Get one more for the for the hat trick there. It's been, um, it's been a while. It's been a while. So we're both yeah, we're both we're, fumbling here. But yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, but it's um, I, I do think that there, there's going to be space for that. And I mean, look, the, the, the thing with OEL, there's there's a couple of things. The reason I've been on this for so long is because when I started looking at the buyouts, the thing that jumped out at me was year one. And how much that frees up year one. And you don't get that if you buy them out after next season. You don't get that same amount of space. And uh, look, I, I think, and I know a lot of people are making the rumblings about years five to eight being uh, the problems with this. I, I don't think it's going to be as bad then just because I do expect the cap to go up. I do think years three and four of this, where uh, uh, it is a higher cap penalty, it's going to be tricky. So... One thing they have to do is identify cost of replacement. And I, I believe years three and four, it's a 4.7 uh, cap hit. You were paying OEL seven. So to make it work, you need to find a defenseman who can fill that void for 2.3 or less. And I do think that's possible. It's tough because a lot of people are thinking, you know, two, three, four years from now, if the Canucks play their cards right, they could actually be a, a contending team or a playoff team. And I don't want to you know, get, get my hopes up with that. There's a lot of work that needs to go there, but I do, I do think this is a cap hit that it's not great, but it's the best option. Uh, again, like the more I think about it when it happened, I just didn't think they were going to do it. But the more I've, I've thought about it, I've gone back to where I was back in November, December. I'm like, yeah, you've got to free up cap space. You got to do this. And, uh, and remember also Tyler Myers at some point, in the next year is going to be off the books as well. And that's going to free up a bit more money uh, too for them. Um, of course, they'll have Heronic and Pedersen. They got to worry about among a few other guys after that. But I think this regime has done a good job with maximizing guys on value deals. 
I hope that continues with free agency. I hope they keep some money left over. I hope they don't spend right up to the cap right away. Uh, but what I really think they're doing here is they're leveraging themselves up for trades and uh, being able to kind of flip the script and go out and look at some of these teams that are getting tight up against the cap and be like, oh, hey, you've got so-and-so. We'll take them, but we're, we'll only give you this. I mean, yeah, the, the Canucks are no longer the team that's at the top of this pile. I mean, Tampa Bay is right up against the cap. Uh, Montreal has got is up against the cap right now, but they, they're kind of in a different situation. Calgary's right up against the cap. Uh, Vegas is, but you know that they're just going to put half their team on LTIR to start the year, <laughs> so whatever. Uh, but Boston is another one that has uh, that really needs to get rid of some guys. Like, there are some of these good teams where you can go in and look at, and uh, the Canucks can kind of kind of help out or not help out, but like get help them out of the, that situation they're in by, but get a good player in the process. So um, I, I'm, I think that's something really interesting to watch. Like a guy like Ross Colton in Tampa Bay for a third line center. He's RFA right now. Um, maybe uh, like, I don't know how Tampa is going to squeeze him in, or maybe if they really do want to keep him, the Canucks could get someone else uh, out of there and maybe with some retention, I don't know, but it just gives them opportunities now to make deals that are smarter. And I do think that uh, if they do this properly um, and evaluate the right talents and bring in a couple guys on cheap deals around a million through free agency to round out the roster and hopefully keep this 11th overall pick and draft again, you're starting to at least correct a lot of the mistakes or not even correct, but just set yourselves up, you know? Like, they haven't even been able to correct mistakes because they're being so up against the cap. It's uh, It's been hard to do, but they've shown an eagerness to trade. Uh, they've shown uh, a, a eagerness to sign guys on value deals. And if you can draft a few more players this year and make a couple of smart moves, this organization will be in a, a lot better shape, even though they're gonna we're going to be talking about OEL till 2031, which is still four years shorter than what Bobby Bonilla is going to be getting paid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Bobby Bonilla day, which I believe falls on Canada today, July 1st is, is always an epic day in baseball. But um, no, yes. there's a couple of points that I think you touched on there that I think are worth mentioning. And I think one, finding players that can fill that void for what the difference was of what OEL would have been making. Right. So if you have a $4 million cap penalty for buying them out, can you find a guy for $2 million, $3 million that would equal what you would have paid OEL to be playing then? And I think this is where an onus on drafting is really actually going to be part of it. I think this team definitely needs to develop and draft players that in two, three years' time could hopefully step up and be NHL players. You've got Rapidi or EP2 in in line, who's a left shot defenseman who maybe in two years time, he could be playing NHL games, kind of filling that void left by OEL not being on the team. He's a young player who, again, by all accounts, looks like he theoretically could be an NHL player. I know he's one year removed from his draft year, but he had a solid year. He's not a big point producer, but he's kind of more of a stay at home, shut down physical defenseman who is able to put the puck in the net from here and there. So I think you, this team can afford to trade away draft picks unless, and again, we can debate this when we talk a little bit more about the draft. If you're going to trade down a couple of slots and hope, hope that the player that you're kind of targeting is still there and maybe add a second round pick or even a third round pick, something like that, you're getting, at least you're getting a little bit of value by doing that and you're still adding to 
a first-round talent to your prospect pool. I mean, you also mentioned some of these teams that are cap-strapped, and yes, Boston is one that comes to mind, Tampa is one that comes to mind, uh, Vegas, but there's also a couple of teams that kind of have a glut of players at a certain position now where I'm sure they're looking to move them to fill another void. I mean, I've, I mentioned this, I tweeted this today to Ray Hatt, friend of the show, because he was talking about, uh, I believe he was a Boston defenseman. Um, and I mentioned Andrew Peck in uh, Columbus, 25 years old. He signed for three years at $2.75 million. He's a 6'3 defenseman, right shot, very good defensive defenseman. And after adding guys like Provorov and Damon Severson, Columbus has a bit of a glut on the right side. And Peck is a guy that could probably be moved for relatively cheap, or maybe you can move a Connor Garland for a guy like him. Uh, the other player, a center that I look at with the LA Kings, who didn't have a great year last year statistically, but he's still a really good young center, right shot center as well, which are very hard to come by is Rasmus Kupari. I mean, he played 66 games for the LA Kings last year. He only had three goals and 12 assists for a total of 15 points. But the kid's only 23 years old. He's RFA. Um, he's a guy that I think you might be able to get for maybe a prospect and a, and a pick or something like that. Or There was rumors last year that LA was a little bit interested in a Connor Garland or a Brock Besser. And you'd probably have to take a little bit money back to, to make that trade happen. But Kupari's a guy, and again, if you look at the center depth in LA, like they're pretty stacked at center at the moment. And Anze Kopitar, I know he's old as nails, but he seemingly isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, obviously, you've got Philip Deneau, who's a great two-way forward. Uh, Quinton Byfield. Um, they've got a Gabe good... Velarde. Gabe Velarde, exactly. You know, they've got a good young group of centers and... Rasmus Kupari, in my opinion, is a guy that the Canucks could look at and maybe try to pry away from L.A. So I think they've got options, and I think the fact that they decided to make this move as quick as they did is letting all the other teams in the league know that they're ready for business and they're ready to kind of, you know, make some moves and maybe target players or teams that are up against the cap or target teams that just have a glut of, a certain, like the Canucks do with wingers at the moment, you know, and hopefully they can make something work there. LA also has Sean Dursey, who would be in a, on the blue line, who'd be an interesting guy. I remember watching uh, Rasmus Kapari when we had the juniors here, and he was insane. He was so good. Um, he's a guy. Now, again, in Vancouver, we may be having shades of Kravtsov bringing that in, but I do think Kapari is much better than Kravtsov, so uh, I would be interested in that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this OEL move is really dependent on what's next and, and what happens next. And uh, obviously we haven't seen anything happen yet, but this is, this is, this is what's really, it, it all comes down to is what, what do they do with this money? Are they going to do like they did in my dream and sign some player to a $49 million deal that I've never heard of? Um, I like to think that, you know, I, I know that a lot of Canucks fans are just picturing the Canucks like, oh, they have this money. They're going to spend it right away on July 1st. But I think there's a part of it with this team right now is like they finally have some money. I don't think they're in a huge rush to fill it up uh, this year, at least. Like I said, I think a couple of bargain guys to bring in. But I do think the trades is where they can really maximize the value. Because, again, you're now talking about 
and you saw this with the Philip Peronic trade. You know, there's a certain window where you're trying to line up guys now with Pedersen and Hughes. Pedersen and Hughes are superstars. They're two guys you can build a team around. And how do you do that now with getting guys in that age group while restocking the prospect cupboards as well? So you have some guys coming up who are on their entry-level deals right around the, the time this team should theoretically get good. So this is a good way to do it for them is they could get some players cheaply that can immediately fill out their roster in that age group without mortgaging the future and trading more draft picks as well because I do think this is a two-pronged approach that they need to do and I think uh, there's now options and different paths for them to do that where there were really no paths before without mortgaging more future assets. Yeah and the one thing I do think with Vegas winning the cup and it's kind of like a copycat league is even though Vegas isn't necessarily the most physical team, they're a big team. Uh, their defense core, they're big players. You know, they're not overly physical per se, but they're physical, tall players that could theoretically win board battles down low. And I do think, you know, the Canucks probably want a little bit more size, especially on their back end and probably down the middle as well. Um, so I do wonder if size ends up being a little bit of a determining factor in some of the players they could or couldn't target. Uh, I know, um, I was going to say... Look at their coach. I mean, look, it's Rick Tockett. I, I think it does. I think they Tockett plays a system, and uh, I think I think size is something they're looking for. Vegas's D was huge, man. They they wouldn't let anybody near the crease. They boxed everybody out. Sorry to cut no, you don't off worry. there, but I just want to, you know, that was, that, was just, uh, that was just on my head. I mean, watching Vegas play D and how they would have... 2D and their center come down and box everyone out from the net. Nobody could get near Aiden Hill. I mean, Aiden Hill looked like freaking Patrick Waugh out there. Um, but I do think size is something that they're going to look for. Yeah, and um, who's the... There was the the center that played for Vegas. I'm trying to think of his name. Um, Hague? No, 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 no. He's got a... He's a UFA this year. He's got a... Bluger, Teddy Bluger. Bluger's a guy that, you know... He, He's a free agent. You know, maybe that's a guy that the Canucks target in free agency. Um, you know, I know he kind of got usurped down the stretch in Vegas, but he's a, an, another player that theoretically fits maybe some of the profiles that the Canucks are looking for. I think it's exciting. I really do. And I, I will also give Elvin and Rutherford credit. They do these big moves and they come out of nowhere. Like, I think back to the Philip Peronic trade. That trade came out of nowhere. No one saw that coming, as mm -hmm. far as I'm aware. Um, you know, the JT Miller signing, There's a, a, you could make the argument that that kind of caught everybody off guard. You know, when they signed him, at least when they ended up signing him. Uh, buying out OEL like they did, you know, at that end-of-season press conference, Alvin said he wasn't really interested in using the buyout to fix some of their issues. Well, we know how that turned out. Um, so yeah, again, it's exciting and it's never ever been a dull moment being a fan of this team. What do you think? Um, what do you think with Ethan Bear? Do you think they qualify him? Uh, I think they would have now that this injuries happened. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it, it, I don't think they do. Either do I, I. I don't think they do. I think they. Uh, I don't think they qualify, but I think they reach a deal with them. Okay. Yeah, I mean that that could be interesting. I I also look at it as they made the decision to buy out OEL after knowing Ethan Bear was going to miss 
four months due to this injury at the World Championships. So to me, mm-hmm. losing two defensemen on already an already relatively weak blue line to me, it means they've got something in their back pocket. You know, they, they, they've either identified a player in free agency or maybe they've had preliminary discussions with another team about acquiring a defenseman. I just think to lose two of your top four, and I know, you know, I already said that OEL was pay, playing more of a bottom pairing role last year than a top four. But regardless, an already thin blue line to lose two NHL players... I think I think they've got something, another little thing up their sleeve. I mean, who knows? Well, the next week or so, will everything will make more sense. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. And while I think three C is important, that's why I think uh, the blue line is still their biggest weakness. And uh, you look, Ethan Bear, it would it would have been a two point two million dollar qualifying offer uh, if he was healthy. And that even with the way he played for me, that's still a little too rich. Like, uh, like Bear was fine, but I don't. I had him closer to like one and a half as opposed to two point two. Um, and so it was already a little rich. Now for me, there's no way you go in with that two point two. However, Bear seems to like it here. Um, I think he sees an opportunity here. At least I, I hope he would. He wanted to come here, um, and I think he also probably realizes that hey, you're going to miss half the season. Um, and we're not sure what f- your frame is going to be like when you come back. Now, if you don't qualify him, he does become a, a free agent. So I do think the team is probably going to work pretty hard here in the next week or two if- to sign him to a deal before free agency starts, um, just so they can at least have that done and dusted in a way. Um, I I don't see this being something that goes to arbitration or anything. I think... I get the feeling there's uh, there's an impetus from both sides that they want to get this deal done, um, but uh, I don't think you qualify him. It just doesn't doesn't make sense. No, especially given the injury, I I think you're going to end up overpaying him, um, and I don't think this team is in a position to overpay anyone outside of maybe Elias Pettersson. Um, that's the only player I'd be willing to overpay by a million or two. Um, and I liked Ethan Bear. Like I I thought. Overall, given what the cost to acquire him was, I think he was very serviceable for this team. Um, could you upgrade or improve him? You know, that player? Of course, I think you can. Yes. Um, what's it going to cost you? I don't know. I mean, that's another thing I got to give Vegas credit for. They've done a really good job of also finding bottom six players and bottom pairing or you know bottom three defensemen that are very serviceable. And again, kudos to their pro scouting. And I think with Ethan Bear, you know, we're going to potentially see, you know, what this Canuck team has in the prospect pool. You know, I don't know if Jet Wu is going to be an everyday NHL player next year. I highly doubt it unless there's catastrophic injuries. But I do think we get to see Jet Wu play a couple of NHL games next year, provided he stays healthy. Uh, Ethan Bear... Again, it's tough luck. I, I like the guy. I really do. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to make business decisions. And it just doesn't make sense to give him a qualifying offer right now. Well, and you look at the blue line. I mean, everyone has pretty much written Tyler Myers out of town. I think Tyler Myers starts with the team. And I think they trade him at the trade deadline uh, because he, there'd be some real value for him, I think, 
one way or another. Now, of course, if the Canucks are right in the playoff race, maybe that doesn't happen. Um, I just think with the way Myers' bonuses are structured, I think they're you know, it's likely he's going to be on the team. But I'm just looking at right now, like, what I would map out to be the Canucks starting blue line. And, you know, it's uh, it's got question marks right now, like how you're going to do it. Like right now, I'm just like a quick pencil in. I've got Hughes and Hironic, Breezebois and Myers, and Hirose and McWard, you know? like, And then, again, you can argue a little bit. You can flip some stuff around. You know, maybe Philip Johansson comes up. Maybe Jack Rathbone, you know, uh, Maybe we'll land in there. I don't know. But I, I think you need to get at least two defensemen uh, to fill this this out. Uh, and preferably both of them. on Definitely a right side guy, uh, but maybe even two right side guys. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, losing both those guys, th- there's got to be some sort of plan in there to replace that because uh, the blue line is significantly worse. Um, but with Ethan Bear, I, I don't think you qualify him. I think you bring him back on a cheap deal, maybe even a cheap two-year deal. You know, I say, hey, look, we're going to we'll offer you less, but we'll sign you for two years. We'll take the gamble on you being able to make this comeback and come back uh, next year and, and play the full season. And then, hey, you know what? You're going to be UFA then. I believe he'd be a UFA then just uh, looking at his age here. Yeah, he would be he'd be a UFA then. So I think for him, it could be like, all right, this is kind of a show me. He gets that second year security. So I would like to see them come in at a two-year deal, maybe just a bit under $3 million. I, Yeah, I'd be okay uh, again, I, I would be okay with that too. Um, I just, I, I do think they kind of want to see what they have. I mean, you brought up a player like Philip Johansson. I mean, he's a right-shot defenseman. I know he's 23 years old, and last year at the end of the season, he kind of came over from Sweden. He didn't look completely out of place. I know he had a very small sample size, but he's a guy that you know, six one. he's not the biggest guy, but he's definitely not slight of frame either. You know, he's a guy that they might give every opportunity to try to make this team. And I do think at least with the bottom pairing, they're leaving it wide open for anyone, whether it's a Jack Rathbone, Akita yeah. Hirose, Cole McWard, um, Christian Wolanin. I think all those guys are going to have an opportunity to make this team at a training camp next year, which I think is good because you do need some of that young yeah. talent in your lineup. Guys on cheap entry-level contracts are making close to what the league minimum is. You need those guys being being able to contribute to your team so you can use that money elsewhere. Yeah, and I'm, I'm totally fine with that, at least for one spot on the blue line. I'm totally fine with that, maybe two. Um, we saw last year, though, uh, especially under Tockett, when Tockett came in and, and a lot of systems changed, we saw a lot of those guys come in on cheap deals and play more effectively than guys like Myers and OEL were. And a lot of Canucks fans are like, why are we spending... And I was like this too. I was like, why are we spending $13 million on those two guys when we have these two guys for less than $2 million who are doing a better, more effective job? Uh, so I think I think there's definitely room for at least one of those. And hey, earn the job, right? You know, we said this before on the podcast with the goaltending is like, you know, is Arthur Seelofs going to be the the backup next year? Or is Spencer Martin? It's like, come into camp, whoever earns it, yeah, give it to them. Uh, I'm totally cool with that. And hey, uh, with Arthur Seelofs, how cool is that? Uh, the guy getting MVP of the world championship. Dude, Latvia cool had a national holiday after winning the bronze medal. They Everything Love was shut it. down. I believe hospitals were still open, thankfully, because I'm sure there's people needing surgeries or whatnot. But 
Yeah. And like just watching the celebration in Latvia, I mean, it was huge. It was amazing. And it, and again, hockey growing in that country. And I know Latvia has kind of been knocking on the door the last decade, decade and a half. I mean, I think former Canuck goalie, Artur Serbe, you know what I mean? Um, and Peter, and Peter Scudre, yeah, there's a great shout as well. Um, and Canucks are the only team in NHL history to have wow. three Latvian interesting. goalies play for them. Very interesting. Um, but just a great story. And I think the thing with Archer Seelofs that I, a lot of us need to remember, the kid's only 22 years old or 21. He's still extremely young, especially for a goaltender, because goalies generally take the longest to develop, especially in the minors. I mean, they usually at least play one full season of being the everyday starter, if not two in the AHL before they even start getting a sniff in the NHL. So look, he could come into training camp and be the Canucks legitimate best choice at being the backup to Thatcher Demko. I'm still of the mind, and maybe this is because how it all played out with Mikey DiPietro. I'm still of the mind that Seelofs needs to play as many games as possible, and that's why he needs to be in the AHL. Now, if you have a long homestand, let's say you have a four or five game homestand, could you call Seelofs up for that homestand and play him a game here or a game there, you know, and season him a little bit there and then put him back in the AHL where he can go and play, you know, most of the AHL games. Maybe that's an option you can do now that we have an AHL club so close to Vancouver. So he played 44 games for Abbotsford last year. I mean, there's a chance that if he's down there, he's 45 to 50. But I also think there's as much value play, starting 30 games with the big club as there is with getting 45 to 50 games with uh, the AHL club. But we, we have all off season to kind of discuss that a bit more. I just wanted to give Archers a shout out. And as someone who's hung out in hockey bars in Riga before and chatted hockey with the Latvians, they're crazy passionate hockey fans. So I was very excited. I was more excited for them to win a medal than Canada to win the gold. Uh, to be honest, I, I, and we, we just kind of take it for granted. It's like, oh, yeah, we, we won. But to see Latvia and, and Germany in the top four, uh, I thought that was uh, pretty wicked. Hey, Doug, we're uh, we're running a bit long here. and We haven't even touched on the draft. This is the last time we are going to be talking about the draft before the draft. Uh, we're going to right now. The plan is to record again uh, the Thursday of the draft and uh, and kind of give a recap of what the Canucks did over the two days, because we're hoping there's some fireworks. Um Assuming they keep the pick. I really do think they're keeping the pick. I know a lot of people uh, have been throwing out all these ideas and trading it. I I think they're keeping this pick. And I think when they traded that other first to Detroit and the Heronic deal, I think that was part of the idea that this pick is staying, keeping their highest one. So the Canucks took five guys out for dinner, not at the same time, uh, at least as not far as I know. But Matthew Woods, Zach Benson, Nate Danielson, Colby Barlow, and Tom Willander. Uh, all get taken out by the Canucks as guys that they're watching, which obviously leads a lot of people to speculate that those are the guys they're interested in. Now, anyway, I've done mock drafts, at least a couple of those guys are going to be available at the 11 spot. Barlow and Willander in pretty much all of my mocks are still there. But that also begs the question is, is moving down an option. And I'm not against moving down for the Canucks a couple spots if it means you could get maybe a, a back into the second round or another like early third pick or something. I'm not against that. Um, but right now, Doug, uh, let's say the Canucks are picking at 11 and hypothetically all those guys are available 
and maybe someone else. Who do you like at 11 right now for the Canucks? Well, I think of all the guys that they took out for dinner, I think the best player with the highest upside and the most talent is Zach Benson. Zach Benson's the guy. Yes, I He's agree. the guy. I've seen him go as high as fifth in some mock drafts, and I've seen him go as high as, yeah. as low as 17 in some mock drafts. But he had an absolutely incredible year in the WHL that was obviously overshadowed by Connor Bedard. But Benson is a legitimate top five, top eight talent in this draft. So I think it would be very hard for the Canucks to pass up on Zach Benson if he's there. I really do. Um, Local exactly. kid, too. And I, I, I think that's the other. It's almost like the poor man's Bedard. Now, I know he's a winger. Um but he's, his hockey sense is through the roof. And he's a... Small winger, yeah, too. Yeah, but I, I don't think he plays like a small winger. You know what I mean? He plays, he, he, he plays with such pace that he's not a guy that kind of gets pushed around the ice. Um, so I, he's a guy that I think if he's there, it's going to be really hard for the Canucks not to pick him just because of the talent. Is he, again, another winger? You know, I know we drafted LeCarrie Mackey last year who was a winger. I don't love it, but I just think raw talent, he, he's hard to pass up. Um, Nate Danielson's interesting. That's the player that Connor Bedard said was the hardest player for him to play against last year. Matchup-wise, that was the guy he hated playing against the most. You know, and... Shades of Cole Castles and Connor McDavid, potentially. I don't know if he's going to be the next Cole Castles as a prospect. Um, but that's an interesting guy. You know, he's, he's a center, which the Canucks desperately need. But the guy that I really think, because I don't think Zach Benson will be there. Um, I No, I think Benson, I think Benson will be gone. Yeah, well. and you know. Just like I think Ryan Backer. I think will be Ryan gone. Backer's going to be gone as well. And, you know, I'll, I'll bring one other name up before I get to the guy that I do think the Canucks are going to end up actually drafting. It's Matej Mitchkov. Now, there was a report today that Mitchkov either wants to go to Washington or Vancouver. Those are the two teams he wants to go to. I cannot see mm. Washington passing up on Mitchkov if he's there. I just can't. So no, I can't either. I can't either. They and they, they like Vancouver. Well, Washington has a tendency to draft yes. Russians. The Canucks have a tendency to sign <laughs> Russians. I uh, mean, Pod Colson. I, I would be. I would be very surprised. I would be very, yeah, yeah, that's true. But Vancouver's really, after years of not being in the Russian game, have gotten into the Russian game. I would be, I, I also agree. I'd be very surprised if Washington passed on. Yeah, so the guy I actually really think, and the more I read about him and the more I study him, I think it's Tom Wall Wallander. I, I think this kid is one yeah, of the highest risers in this draft. He paid, you know, he played very well at the U18s. I think that gold medal game against the US, he played over 30 minutes. Um, another very interesting about Tom Wallander, and I, and again, I don't know if you know this, Pete, maybe you do, maybe you don't. He's leaving the Swedish league next year to go play in Boston university in the NCAA, mm -hmm. which I think is a very interesting decision for his development. The fact that he's coming over to North American ice size, which is generally thought of to be more of a physical game. I think that speaks volumes to this kid and just kind of his will to want to improve and how quickly he wants to get to the NHL. And I, 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 I really like this kid. The more, yeah, he's, he's committed and he's going to be going to Boston university and 
yeah, man, he's going to be playing with that Lane Hudson, I think, is the prospect from the Montreal Canadiens who just had, an, I think, a record-setting year for a defenseman scoring last year for, for, B, for BU. And yeah, I think Wallander's the guy. I really do. Good, good. Welcome, welcome aboard the hype train, because I've been saying for a couple of months that I think this is the guy that the Canucks should get. I've got more interest in him than Sandine yeah. Delica, uh, and uh, I think he's he's a guy who, uh, again, a right-shot D prospect. The Canucks, since uh, I think it's 2017, they, besides Quinn Hughes, the defenseman that they've drafted in the first three rounds, Yanni Yermo, who I don't think is going to work out, Jet Wu, who... You know, we're not so sure on. Um, and I'm forgetting someone else here. Uh, more recent. Oh, yeah, of course, Petey, uh, which, again, early to say. But they need to get some blue chippers in there. I think he's a blue chipper. Um, Nate Danielson I really like, again, because he is a center. I, I, I don't think Zach Benson or Mitch Koff will be there. But if they were, that would be a guy that you take, um, even though, you know, positionally it's not what you need. I mean, again, you're thinking with whoever you take here, you're thinking two or three years down the road. So, yeah, okay, you need a center, but, you know, you're thinking two or three years down the road with this anyways. Uh, you know, you got – there's other options. There's, it's it's just – it depends where – what you're looking at with, with the draft. Um, I just don't think Benson or Mitchkoff are going to be there. Uh, Willender is the guy that I quite like. I've, I've been pretty big on him. But Nate Danielson right now is my other guy. Um uh, I, again, it's it is tough. I, I don't I don't think they're going to take Barlow. I'm not sure about Wood. Um, uh, you know, Oliver Moore is a guy that we've talked about as well in the past as a guy is a great skater um, as well. But um, and, and Wood is again is uh, another kind of local product uh, who's also going to uh, the NCAA uh, or is playing in the NCAA. So uh, I I you know. Uh, Willander's a guy I want. Danielson, I think, will also be on the board. Uh, but I think Barlow will be on the board. I don't think they go with him unless it's like a trade-down scenario. Um, but I think everything's on the table with the Canucks. So here's a little interesting that just came to my mind. is like, And again, I even if they trade back from 11, I don't know if Willander, because he's been such a high riser. And a guy who two months ago was barely cracking first round. Like he was you know, maybe the 25 to 30 range mm. is now climbed up as high as 11th. I've even seen one mock draft that had the St. Louis Blues taking him at 10th overall. Um, but here's a little wow. something for you, Pete. And again, I, I don't know if they traded back this far, if whether or not they'd be, Wallender would still be there. But could you imagine if the Canucks traded back with the Detroit Red Wings and got back the first round pick <laughs> they traded for Heronic and the second round pick they traded for Heronic? Could you imagine that? That that would oh, be hilarious. Man. That would that would oh, I would I'd I'd be all over that just for the exactly. entertainment value. I'd be popping the popcorn with that one. Another team to watch, and I know there have been some people who've also thrown this out there, so I'm not the only one who's chucked this out. Team to watch is Nashville, of course, hosting yeah. the draft. We've seen there's been a tendency uh, of teams who host the draft to like to make splashes and do things. Uh, uh, to kind of, you know, get the fans excited. Nashville's got some picks and some prospects. They could be a team to watch um, as, as well. Um, but, yeah, for me, uh, if, if Willander's there, that's the guy I'm going to be crossing my fingers for, that the Canucks, if they keep that 11 pick, uh, make the move and, and grab. Uh, and Nate Danielson would be my second choice right Yeah, now. like I said, unless a, a Zach Benson, which I don't think he does, but if a Zach Benson falls, I think they just, I think he's in a different tier. I know 
Position-wise, he's not what you need, but I do think he's in that next tier of elite player that you just can't pass up. Yeah. But I don't think he'll be there. And Wolander, like I said, man, uh, the more you read about this kid and the more you hear people talk about him, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he's definitely the second defenseman off the board. I know Sandin Pelica was thought to have been... I think he will Yeah, I, I, Sandin Pelica, you know, his countryman was thought to have been definitely the second, if not the first. And now Reinbacher seems to have kind of established himself as the first defenseman to be taken off the board. But yeah, man, I like Wolander. And especially when I read that he's going to be going to Boston University next year and leaving the Swedish league to go and have at least a year or two there. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I mean, another guy, like, I don't think Dvorsky's no. going to be there, but if he was, I he, I think he kind of falls into that that same bracket for me. I agree. Um, it was being uh, a, a guy that uh, they take. And again, you know, I'm still interested in Oliver Moore as well. Like, I'd be okay with, with that. Um, but, you know, like, I'm just, I, I've looked at some draft lists and, like, Nate Danielson is, like, you know, the last one I looked at, I think it was the Hockey News one, I think it was. They had him at, like, 20 seconds. So is that a reach then? Uh, maybe. And now, you know, the Hockey News also put uh, Wellander at 20th. And so, like, are they reaches? Like, I don't know. I mean, remember as well when Detroit took Mo Sider, how that was thought of, as a reach, and it worked out. I mean, there's a couple other defensemen later in the first round that could go as well. But I do think that... Uh, Right now, I, I, in my opinion, I think uh, Willander's uh, the number two guy um, in in this draft, and and you know there's there's a lot of good players, uh, but if there's a certain a couple of guys, I think Dvorsky, I think Benson and Mitchkoff are the three where people aren't so sure where they're going to go. Right? Like, I think most people think that Bedard, Fintilli, Carlson, and Smith are going to go in some sort of top four order. There, after that, there's a uh, there's a next range of guys, and in that range of guys are Dvorsky, Mitchkoff, and Benson. I don't think any of them are going to fall. It's, you know, maybe they do, but I don't think they'll get to Vancouver. So I think that the players that we're discussing and talking about, I think, are definitely more in their wheelhouse right yeah, now. Yeah, and I'll just say this. The the mock draft I'm currently looking at, it's the Tankathon one, which, again, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But in this Tankathon mock draft, it has the Detroit Red Wings with the 17th overall pick taking Nate Danielson. So if the Canucks did make that trade back, like yeah. I said, to reacquire that pick and then reacquire <laughs> their second round pick, again, I think it'd be hilarious, man, just for the headlines alone. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, man. I'd be refreshing Twitter uh, if that happened. That would uh, that would be uh, that'd be hilarious. Hey Doug, um, just uh, a couple quick things in here. Uh, Vitaly Kravtsov going back to Russia. Looks like that experiment didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I think the Canucks are still gonna send him a qualifying offer just so they at least keep his rights. Um, I think Kravtsov needs to find his game, and you know, unfortunately, he just hasn't been able to find it in the NHL. So maybe another year or two back in the K, he can find his game and come back a little bit older and a little bit more mature in the next two years or something like that. I mean, Kuzmenko, and again, they're not the same player, but you know, Kuzmenko didn't come over to the NHL until he was 26. Kratsov's only, what, 22, I think, 23? He's still very young. Uh 2023 okay. yeah yeah so i mean he could he could just pull a tramkin and not come back but uh i, I i'm okay with this i mean he wasn't very effective with with the Canucks no i mean don't flashes but yeah his his consistency was definitely the biggest issue yeah a hundred percent and then there's a quick hit few hits around the league uh and uh just just wanted to quickly touch on so the chaos in toronto um 
Yeah, what do you think of what do you think of that? Like uh, just the Dubas situation there. For me, uh, it seemed to kind of. Well, I mean, things changed yeah, but from Monday to Thursday. They're pretty quick. I think Brendan Shanahan also should be fired personally. If you're going to move away from Dubas, I think Shanahan's the other guy that has to go personally. I I don't know. There's something about Shanahan I've never been a big fan of. I didn't really like him as a player. Uh, I haven't liked him as an executive. Uh, that press conference I thought was very telling and it just like for him to kind of air the dirty laundry like that to the public uh yeah i i don't know man i don't think it was a good look for shanahan or the leafs and again i'm not the biggest kyle dubas fan either but i think kyle dubas came out of it looking good and you know he landed on his feet in pittsburgh and now he's the president he's not the general manager he's the president so he's kind of got you know final say in everything kind of like shanahan does in toronto what are your thoughts pete yeah, about the same. I mean, he also gets takes Jason Spezza over there. Um, again, for the drama as a hockey fan, and a guy who dislikes the Leafs, I love it. I think this is fantastic. Um, uh, I thought Dubas, as much as I, uh, I'm not a fan of him, and I think he overpaid uh, for his big four guys, he always did a good job of bringing in some guys to play on cheaper deals and attract them to Toronto. Uh, but now I'm just hoping that Pittsburgh has a great year. I, I really want to... Want to see that? Uh, the other uh, team in Ontario, Ottawa, sold finally. No Deadpool money, but it uh, sounds like the Sens uh, are going to be staying put in Ottawa. Um, whether they get new arena or not, now that's kind of the next question. Yeah, I mean Snoop Dogg's uh, group that were looking to buy the Ottawa Senators didn't uh, put in the winning bid either, which I think could have been good for the league. Um, but the guy that ended up buying the Ottawa Senators is a Canadian, um, so. I, you always like to see Canadian billionaires buy teams. Uh, obviously, they have a, a passion for the game, unlike some American owners, not all, but some. You know, I think back to the John McCaw era in Canucks history of an American owner. Who, <laughs> don't I do know, that. I know. Don't, don't, don't. But just of an American pain, owner who didn't pain. give two shits about this club or what they did, uh, changed it to the Orca logo, which, again, I get the Orca logo is a good representation of the Pacific Northwest, but, you know, his company was called Orca Bay. So it just, yeah, it seemed a little strong, you know, where he changed the logo when he did. Um, but I think it's good for the Ottawa Senators. I think this all but secures Ottawa staying in Ottawa, which is good. Um, yeah. Which which is more than we can really say for Arizona. They're, they're there right now. I mean... We're not really sure what the future of Arizona is, but there is a very good chance that after next season, they could move again to Salt Lake City or possibly Houston. They, uh, that's a team that has got some serious flux right now. Yeah, I think Houston is probably going to be where they end up. Um, I know, I believe it was Clayton Keller came out and said he was disappointed by the vote and he's not sure about his commitment long-term to the Coyotes just because they're just up in you know, limbo at the moment. But... Yeah, I think Houston, I mean, Salt Lake City, I've heard that name bantied about as well, but I, I think Houston makes the most sense just as far as a geographical rival to Dallas, and it's a huge market. Man, Arizona has 22 picks in the next three drafts in the first three rounds. Like, just just crazy. Um, but So they're building towards something, but who knows what that is, whether they're going to go hang out with cowboy hats or Mormons. We don't know. Um, Doug? Let's take this to the free pour. All 
All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I just want to talk about a concert and a little tiny road trip I went on before my appendectomy. And it was to go see a really good friend of mine in Portland named Kevin. I hadn't been to Portland in quite a few years. I always love Portland. Um, It's not necessarily cheap, but it's definitely not expensive. Uh, I had a couple of long layovers in Seattle um, just because the bus and I found Seattle to be very expensive in comparison to, uh, to Portland. We went to a couple of uh, bars that had $1 cans of Rainier for their happy hour. And then when happy hour ended, it was $3 tall boys of Rainier uh, as the regular price beer, like which it. was amazing. Uh, and then we went and saw uh, one of my all-time, probably he's getting up there as one of my all-time favorite rap artists, and that's Billy Woods. Um, I'd seen Billy Woods perform with Arm and Hammer, which is his kind of group with Elucid. But to see Billy Woods and Kenny Siegel perform their new album, Maps, was amazing. In a very small theater in Portland with a really good friend of mine. So, yeah, I just wanted to talk about my concert experience. It was amazing and just how great Portland is of a city. I mentioned to get back down there. Um, I just wanted to... Now now I'll pour one out. and uh, I, I lost my local bar in the past few I weeks. saw that. Um, I saw it, that, it's tough. I'm sorry. I did see that. I was going to message you. It's, you know, it's it's a tough one. Uh, they, they've been open for 10 years. Uh, a real neighborhood hub. Um, it was very much... And I've, I've noticed it. It's a part of my routine. Like, um, go down there, you know... They have no TVs. They sit there, and you just sit at the bar. You chat to whoever's there. It was very much just like that social place that a local bar should be. You know that, that Europe does so well in the UK, in particular. Um, the owners left on their own terms. Uh, they they didn't need to leave, but they uh, they were ready to change, and uh, they were moving, and so you know, good for them. But um, yeah, it, it's left a hole in my routine down here in the West End. So I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, my friends over at Buck Stop who are now in Winnipeg. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I miss you guys. I miss the bar, but I'm glad you guys got to do it on your own terms. Uh, shout out to Fiona and Doug over in the prairies. Now. Great barbecue at Buck Stop as well. It was. It was. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, episode 144. That's season four, episode 25. Finally in the books, I should say, because, uh, yeah, it took us a little while to get going there. We're going to have a couple more episodes. We'll do one post-draft, and probably post-free agency, and then actually wrap up season four and take a proper summer hiatus before we come back for what is hopefully a season five where we actually get to talk about some wins because all ever since we started this podcast, it's uh, besides the bubble. There hasn't been... A lot to get excited about. Um, but Doug, one other thing that happened in the world of sports. Well, a lot of things happened in the world of sports, but most recently, 
another first-time champion, the Denver Nuggets. Congrats to them. Yeah, I mean, I think the Denver Nuggets were clearly the best team in the playoff, the NBA playoffs this year. And shout out to Jamal Murray, Canadian kid who tore his ACL a couple of years ago, and it's been a long, tedious road back. And him and Jokic uh, were arguably the best one-two punch in the NBA all year. And this playoffs, and just I don't know if you caught like Jokic's celebrations after he won oh, god so Dude. good so good like you could he's there like i, I saw I, I tweet retweeted something of him uh, and someone captures this is what going to the club in your 30s yeah. looks like and it's just Jokic there with the goggles he's kind of like half shaking the champagne yeah doesn't go off he just like walks away with it he's just like he's a pretty humble dude uh for how good he is i, I got a lot of respect for him. yeah and like he I, he was at the press conference they were talking about the parade and he's like the parade he's like when's the parade they're like thursday he's like oh he's like i, I need to go back to serbia i want to go back i gotta stay till thursday and they're like yeah you have to stay for the parade <laughs> dude <laughs> it was just yeah it's hilarious man yeah yeah, you're the MVP. You kind of have yeah. to. Um, yeah, it was that was uh, that was actually you know again another Miami team in there. I, I watched quite a bit of the the NBA playoffs this year. I found them actually be pretty entertaining. Uh, but yeah, good on the Nuggets. Uh, Jokic and Murray uh, really like to see that. So congrats to them, uh, folks. You can follow us online. I'm at Pete underscore Gas on Twitter, and do check out our playlist on Spotify. The Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. We'll add this track onto there as well. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.